Did God have his hand over the founding of America? Was it a bastion of freedom or a center for slavery? What were Sunday blue laws and how are they connected to the mark and the image of the beast? How can believers stand faithful to God in the events to come? Join us for answers to these questions and more as we trace America's role in Bible prophecy from its beginnings all the way down till just before Jesus comes again. In early 1797, General Napoleon Bonaparte was camped in northern Italy, seeking a pathway into the Austrian heartland. He had spent the last two years subduing the Papal States and fending off repeated assaults from a coalition of Italian and Austrian forces while laying siege to 18,000 coalition forces he had trapped in Mantua. Some years previously, in 1793, the French government had passed a resolution calling for an end to the Papal States and the Papal government. Having conquered and annexed the Papal States and signed a peace treaty with the Vatican, Napoleon was reticent to exert himself to capture the Pope and fully abolish the Papal government. It was a distraction from the real threat, which was Austria. And in February 1797, Pius VI was deathly ill. No one expected him to recover. All Napoleon had to do was wait for him to die and it would be easy to simply interrupt the election of a new pope and proclaim a Roman Republic, Republic in place of the Holy See. So why exert oneself needlessly when the Austrians were a lethal threat that were constantly harassing his forces? To accomplish his purpose of bringing an end to the papal government, Napoleon had stationed a small deployment of French troops under Brig Brigadier General Marthurian Leonard Dufot and his older brother, Ambassador Joseph Bonaparte in Rome. Dufot was engaged to Joseph Bonaparte's sister-in-law and the day before the wedding, the 28th of December, 1797, a riot broke out in Rome when Dufot and Joseph hosted a revolutionary celebration. Many of the rioters were calling for an end of the papal government. Some even basing their claims on the end of the 42 month prophecy of Revelation 13 that was due to be fulfilled the following year with the end of Vatican political power. Now, just days away, this was a calculation that had been made by a significant number of Bible scholars from the 16th century onwards and was seemingly well known. Dufot led a small contingent of French troops to put down the riot, which then clashed with papal troops. In the Mali, Dufot was shot dead a day before his wedding and becoming a part of the Bonaparte family. This was an incitement that Napoleon could not ignore. And on the 10th of February, 1798, Napoleon's general Berthier marched into Rome. He was met with no resistance as the majority of the population saw him as a liberator. Pius VI was taken prisoner and sent into France, held captive by a Huguenot regiment where he died in exile. Now, why was this important? And what does it have to do with the rise to power of the United States? Well, to understand that question, 
we must go back to events that took place in the city of Rome 1,260 years previously, the 42 months of the prophecy of Revelation 13. For decades leading up to this, both the church and the Roman Empire had been riven by division and strife. Constantine had moved the capital of the empire from Rome to the city of Constantinople, leaving a political power vacuum in Europe. The bishops of Rome, Carthage, Constantinople and others had been quarrelling over who was the preeminent bishop. Justinian was the ruling emperor and he devised a strategy to restore the unity of the empire once and for all. He would proclaim the bishop of Rome, the bishop of the entire world, and bestow on him the political powers that have been held by the emperors in the West. The decree was made in 533, but it was of no effect. The Ostrogoths had conquered Rome and ruled there and found the criminal act of simony, that is, the purchase of positions of power, rife within the church. They moved to control the election of bishops, finally bypassing the church and appointing a man of their own choosing, Silverius, to the position of Pope in 536. Justinian could not let this stand and sent an army under his general Belisarius to liberate the city of Rome. Having driven the Ostrogoths from the city in the year 538, Silverius was deposed, imprisoned, exiled, and then executed. Justinian's appointment, a man by the name of Virgilius, took his place as both a religious leader of the church and a political, cheater, a political leader of the Western Empire. And with this event, history turned a page and the medieval period began. In his book, Greece Under the Romans, George Findlay stated it this way, The reign of Justinian is more remarkable as a portion of the history of mankind than as a chapter in the annals of the Roman, of the Roman Empire or of the Greek nation. The changes of centuries pass in rapid succession before the eyes of one generation. With the conquest of Rome by Belisarius, the history of the ancient city may be considered as terminating. And with his defence against Witigus in 538, commences the history of the Middle Ages. Edward King in Morsels of Criticism states, he entered the city on the 10th of the preceding December in triumph in the name of Justinian, Emperor of the East. Leaving thenceforward from AD 538, no power in Rome that could be said to rule over all the earth, excepting the ecclesiastical pontifical power. Bible says it would be 1,260 long dark years. We find it right here in Revelation 13 and verse 5, the prophecy of 42 months. The Bible uses the day for year principle and that adds up to 1,260 long dark years before the world would drag itself kicking and screaming through a series of bloody revolutions out of the dark ages and into the modern era. It was the actions of Napoleon that signaled the change. Political power was established in the church in 538. It was removed 
1798, when Napoleon took the Pope prisoner, abolished the papal government and proclaimed a Roman Republic in its place. Now, I want you to stop and think about that. You see, there wasn't a single country, not even devoutly Roman Catholic Spain, that even turned a hair when these events took place. Imagine if that happened today. Imagine if the Prime Minister of France sent a general down into Rome, took the Pope prisoner, abolished the Vatican, and declared a Roman Republic in its place. Imagine how many countries would come to the end, come to the aid of the Vatican today. Describing these events, Leroy, Leroy Froome in The Prophetic Faith of Our Fathers states, when the news of the defeat reached Paris, Director Merlin declared that for 14 centuries there had been cumulative demand for the destruction of this power. Bordas actually held a funeral oration of the papacy. This, of course, needs to be understood in the context of the French Revolution. Joseph Rickaby in The Modern Papacy stated, it looked as if the papacy was dead. In fact, Europe thought the papacy was dead. George Trevor in Rome from the fall of the Western Empire stated the papacy was extinct. Not a vestige of its existence remained and among all the Roman Catholic powers, not a finger was stirred in its defense. The eternal city had no longer prince or pontiff. Its bishop was a dying captive in foreign lands and the decree was already announced that no successor would be allowed in his place. Wow, imagine how that deadly wound is healed between then and now in a little over 200 years. But while one nation was receiving a fatal wound, that fatal wound was a signal that another was rising to power. Slowly at first and on distant shores, unrecognized and unknown in a land sparsely inhabited and almost totally undeveloped, a superpower was being born. Far out of sight of the civilized world, an idea of freedom from tyranny was beginning to take root and it was happening in North America. Bible expositors had been looking for the rise of this nation. They knew it was coming. But America was so obscure and so unlikely that no one thought to look there. A few years previously, John Wesley in his New Testament with explanatory notes had stated in 1754, another beast. But he has not yet come, though he cannot be far off, for he is to appear at the end of the 42 months of the first beast. Let's go to Revelation chapter 13 and let's look at what the Bible says here. Revelation 13, a quick review from our last presentation, begins with a beast that rises out of the sea. It comes to the end of this beast when it receives a deadly wound. That beast, of course, refers to the church that ruled over the world during the Dark Ages and formed the environment that America was created from as a reaction to. The Bible says... In Revelation 13 at verse 8, 
that the world will worship him. And then it says in verse 10, he that leads into captivity. And of course, there was tremendous persecution of people of any other faith during those dark ages. He that leads leads into captivity will go into captivity. He that kills with a sword will be killed with a sword. Here is the patience of the saints. And now watch this. And I saw another beast, a beast in Bible prophecy. We discovered it in our last presentation is a symbol of a nation. I saw another nation rising out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and he spoke like a dragon. Now, the Bible says that the first one rises out of the sea. Revelation 17 verse 15 defines the sea as being peoples, multitudes, nations and languages. Here you've got one rising out of the earth. That's going to be the opposite. That's going to be a a portion of the world that is sparsely populated. Rises out of the earth, the Bible says, has two horns like a lamb. But what I want you to know is that is specifically significant is this. And that is when the Bible says that this nation is going to rise to power. The Bible says that this nation will rise to power as the other one is losing its power. Let's notice it again. He that leads into captivity will go into captivity. Vatican had reigned over the world for 1260 years. It had lost its political power in 1798. Bible says he that killed with the sword must be killed with the sword. The Vatican received a fatal wound in 1798 and the entire world didn't even stir in its defense. They did not expect the Vatican to recover. No one thought it could recover from this. The Bible then goes on. And I beheld another beast rising up out of the earth. Notice what is happening here. As one beast is going down into captivity, the other is rising to power. In these two points, the Bible has just given you the most two most critical points of identification that it can. It has given you the time period in which a new nation will rise to power. And it has given you the geographical location in which those events will take place. The Bible has pointed out that this power will arise on or around 1798 and that it will do so somewhere in the new world, not the old world, somewhere that is sparsely populated, where there are few established nations. Now, I want you to notice what happens if you go to the United States around the year 1798. The Bible describes a process of rising to power. And in 1776, in the United States, you have the Declaration of Independence. Then in 1787, the Constitution is voted. 
1788, the constitution is ratified. In 1789, the first president is elected. In 1791, the Bill of Rights is adopted. And in 1798, the United States has general recognition as a nation. And of course, during that period, you have the Revolutionary War that establishes right on time, right in the right place, a new nation. But that's not all the Bible has to say about the United States. We could identify the United States just on those two identifying characteristics right there, because those two identifying characteristics eliminate any other possibility. You know, we think of our own nation and we think, yes, Australia is great, but we didn't come along until 1901. We were way out of time to be a fulfillment of this prophecy. And that might not be such a bad thing as you continue to read. The Bible says that he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. When the Bible describes this particular entity here having two horns like a lamb, what is the lamb a symbol of in the Bible? Well, we all understand that. A lamb is a symbol of Jesus Christ. And so we understand immediately here that we have a nation that is established on Christian principles of government. So what do Christian principles of government look like? Well, Jesus said, give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and give to God the things that belong to God. Jesus described two separate powers, the church and the state. And he told us not to confuse those two together. Well, the United States was born with two horns like a lamb, one for the church and one for the state. And they were to be separate from each other. Two different powers in one nation, separation of church and state, a new idea, something the world had not seen before, an idea that grew from a seed as they looked at what had been happening in Europe over the last 1,260 years when church and state had been united together. And they said, let's not make this mistake. Let's base our nation on the principles of Jesus Christ. Here you have the establishment prophesied of a nation on Christian principles of government. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible goes on and says that he spoke like a dragon. Here you have a nation established on Christian principles of government, but speaking like a dragon. Well, how does a dragon speak? That's a really valid question. To understand how a dragon speaks, we must remind ourselves, who does the dragon symbolize? And you're all going to say once again, well, the dragon is a symbol of Satan. I'm going to remind you, yes, the dragon is a symbol of Satan, but Satan works through earthly powers and earthly nations. The Bible gives you a definition for the dragon in Revelation chapter 12 and tells you which earthly nation the dragon is symbolizing. The Bible says 
here in uh, verse 4, that the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. It was the Roman Empire that tried to destroy Jesus at the time of his birth. And when you go to Revelation chapter 13 and speaking about the first nation here, where the Bible describes the church of the dark ages, the Bible says that the dragon gave him his power, his seat and great authority. Where did the power, seat and great authority of the church of the dark ages originate from? Any historian knows it originated from imperial Rome. And so when the Bible says that the United States will speak like a dragon, the Bible says that the United States will speak like the Roman Empire once spoke. Sydney Morning Herald, some years ago, September 20, 2002. Now the US dominates the world with the rise of the new age Roman Empire. People are coming out of the closet on the word empire. Americans should admit the truth and face up to their realities as the undisputed masters of the world. The fact is no country has been as dominant culturally, economically, technologically and militarily in the history of the world since the Roman Empire. There it is. Even in today's world, China exists and acts as a response to the United States. The Bible says, then there's many different things we could look at right here, but let's look at verse 14. The Bible says that this second beast, the United States, deceives those that live on the earth by the means of the miracles which he has power to do in the sight of the first beast. We find a unity beginning to form between these two. Saying to those that live on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. There's a clue here. I hope you picked it up. It's kind of subtle. You see, the Bible says right here that the power in this nation rests with the people. Let's go through it again. He deceives those that lives on the earth by the means of the miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast saying to those that live on the earth, those that live within his nation, that they, they are the ones who should make an image or a copy of the first beast. I want you to notice here where the power lies within the second beast, the sea beast, it is sometimes called in the book of Revelation. Where does the power lie? The power lies with the people to create a copy of the first beast. Well, if the power lies with the people to make that copy, then what kind of a government is being described here? This is certainly not a dictatorship. It is not a monarchy. This one is a government that is by the people and that is for the people. The Bible describes a republican form of government. That's exactly what you have, of course, in the United States. And the United States in the modern era 
was the first great nation to experiment with a truly democratic process. The most democratic process that had existed in the world since, watch this, the Roman Empire. The Bible says it would speak like a dragon, like the Roman Empire. And if you study the history of the Roman Republic and the Roman Empire, you can see the events of these two powers as they move from republicanism to being an empire. Well, you can see it being mirrored in the United States right now. Let's face it. Let's look at the history over the last 12 months and see the power that is being gathered together in the crises that have been taking place. And let's be real about things. Verse 12, the Bible says, He exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes. Why is this relevant? He causes or forces the earth and those which live therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. I want you to notice that there is a coalition that is forming right here. A coalition between two great world powers. The Bible predicts it. We look back in recent history. We can certainly see this coalition beginning to form. Beginning to form during the last years of the Cold War. If you think back to relatively recent events, when a Polish pope was elected and Poland was used like a dagger in the soft underbelly of communist Europe to bleed the whole system dry. And you see the great alliance that was built between the United States and the Vatican right through those 1980s that brought about the end of communism. We see the beginnings of this coalition starting to form right here. The Bible goes on and says he does great wonders, making fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. I want you to notice here, and this is a theme that you're going to find right the way through this passage. And that theme is very simple. It is the theme of miracles. You have the theme of miracles being used to deceive. A fascination with the supernatural and the miraculous. Not an emphasis on the word of God. Not an emphasis on those two horns, those two lamb-like horns, Jesus Christ. But an emphasis on the sensational. An emphasis on the sensational that so dulls people's senses that their rights and freedoms are being taken away and they really have no idea what it is that is taking place around them. The Bible says that these deceptions will be used to bring about the agenda. An agenda to create a copy, an image, a carbon version of what had existed during the Dark Ages. You know, when you see the Bible prophesying this right here, it's hard to imagine that any such thing could ever take place. But I want you to think about those who first read this prophecy back in the early 1800s and, and have gone, you know what? This is the United States. 
This was a time when America was just a small, fragile nation, just trying to find its place in the world. It was a bold experiment that no one expected to be successful. But people said, no, this country will be the final superpower. And they were not wrong. And when the Bible says that this country will speak like a dragon and that it will form a carbon copy of the kind of tyranny that existed during the Dark Ages. I think if you're a close follower of events taking place in our world, you will once again have no doubt that what the Bible says here is exactly correct. Let's return and consider the events of 1798. The year before, 1797, Pius VI had been on his deathbed. There was no hope for his recovery. And on his death, the political power of the Vatican was to come to an end. And yet, to everyone's surprise and shock, he made a miraculous recovery. Think about it, friends. If Pius VI had died in 1797, or if General Napoleon had invaded the Vatican that year, as he had been instructed to by the French directorate, the prophecy would have missed by one year. We might say that's not much when, you know, the prophecy spans 1,260 years. But we do not serve a God of approximates, but a God of exactitudes. God said it would be exactly 1260 years and it was exactly that not a year short not a year long but right on time it reminds me of another time prophecy the bible says when the fullness of time came god sent forth his son jesus came as the fulfillment of time prophecy he came right on time as predicted and just as he came exactly as predicted in the past, he is coming again. You can trust every word of his prophecies because every word will take place. And as he came exactly as predicted in the past, he will return exactly as predicted in the very near future. Let me ask you, friends, do you want to be ready for Jesus to come back? If you do, the very simple thing that you can do right now is give your life to Him. For a video of this series, visit our website at theend.digital or find us on social media.